Shalom, and welcome to A Voice Calling in the Wilderness, a trumpet call, a voice crying out loud for God to those that would hear, so that they would run to him, that they might be warned. We are here sounding the alarm that our time on earth is short, and we have no time to waste. Here we will expose the truth, teach the word, discuss the dangers, lies, and enemies we are surrounded by, and how to engage in the war that we are standing in the middle of. Today, we have the pleasure of having our good friend, Dr. Gary Durham, with us today. And uh, we're going to talk about sheep and goats and uh, how we can identify them and what their characteristics characteristics and traits are. Welcome, Pastor. Yeah, it's good to be back. Well, this is going to be a, a fun subject. Um, it's probably going to be a little uh, hard to swallow for some and maybe even a little confusing um, about uh, what sheep and goats are in the Bible and um, what that what it means to us to be able to identify them and their fruits. So one of the main chapters and verses I think that we're going to be working on is out of Matthew, I know, because um, <clears throat> uh, Jesus does a good job of laying all this out in Matthew 31 through, was it, 40. Yeah, the, of the 25th chapter, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so we can talk a lot about the different uh, aspects of what these differences are between the two. And um, so I, do you have anything you want to start us off with, for cautionary maybe, or, or thoughts? Well, I would just say that to start with, uh, J.D., we have uh, probably Jesus's—we talk about this as a parable because he uses parabolic mm-hmm. language, but it's not really a parable. Jesus is talking about a future event. He's saying, you know, when the king comes, and that's himself, he's going to sit on his throne, and then he's going to gather— the nations before him, he's going to divide the people like a shepherd, divide sheep from goats. And then Jesus begins to make clear distinction between the sheep and the goats. The sheep are going to go on the right hand. They're ultimately going to be say, welcome into the kingdom, blessed of my father. And then, of course, we're going to learn a lot of characteristics about them from what Jesus says about them. And then on the left hand is the goats. And the goats are those who are told that they're going to their eternal doom. So that's, that's this is a very foundational passage on sheep and goats. So, yeah, so we will have to dive into the differences and why it's important for us to be able to identify the difference between a sheep and a goat. I think uh, there's a um, lot of churches and, and pastors have spent a pretty good amount of effort kind of skipping over this. Mm-hmm. Because it is a tough subject. Because in any given time, you could have sheep and goats sitting in your church. Well, according to scriptures, we do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I'm trying to be <laughs> a little bit on the nice side there, but the right. truth is, is we we are surrounded by both of these people, types of people, all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to understand the difference between the two because one builds us up, and one begins to tear down the things that we're learning and the, the, the lifestyle that we're trying to live as followers of the way, yeah. right? And, and I, I'm starting to, quite honestly, starting to move away from the idea of even using the word Christian anymore because it has gotten to be so diluted in our world. Yeah. They have all these churches now that are, we have homosexual pastors, we have people performing gay marriages and people that are anti 
uh, pro-life, so they're pro-murdering children that are all, all church leaders mm-hmm. of quote-unquote Christian churches. Yeah. Well. And so this will lead us into a further discussion down the road of talking about the difference between even goats and wolves. Yeah, because we have apostate Christianity <clears throat> mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the culture already. And when you have apostate Christianity now, then Christians have to start finding ways to delineate themselves from that because that actually sometimes becomes the more recognizable and known Christianity in the culture because it's the one making the most noise and and what people are encountering. So they begin to think, oh, well, that's what Christianity is. Well, no, that's not who we are. And then, of course, you have cultural Christianity, which is just kind of a laissez-faire Christianity that, uh, you know, I'm a Christian because I was born into a Christian culture or, you know, I got baptized when I was uh, six months old. Mm-hmm. And so that makes me a Christian. Uh, and it's more than that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but that doesn't make you necessarily a Christian. Right. And and one of the things that's very important, I think, for all of us to understand is one, and I think we've said it on this, this program many times, we're not meant to walk in this world alone. So we have to put people in our lives that are going to help us when we fall down, that are going to be there when we need somebody. Mm-hmm. And that that quite honestly, that we have the opportunity to serve and help them when they're in need. Mm-hmm. And so those are the sheep that we need to align ourselves with because we'll find and we'll talk about this here soon. But as we look and identify folks that are what we would consider a goat, they're not going to be there when you need them. Mm-hmm. And and their their relationship is going to be one-sided with us. We're going to be givers to them and they're going to continually take, but they won't be very willing to give. Or they will give in order to get to something receive, from right. Yeah, in order to manipulate you or into some way control you or to convince mm-hmm. you of something that isn't true. Yeah. So the other thing that I, I think is important for us to start with is is look internally always, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we probably should start with asking ourselves constantly if, if our Lord came right now to be give us the great judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Would we fall on the side of sheep or goats? Which words would we hear from him? Would we say, depart from me, or well done, good and faithful servant? Which would it be? What is our legacy of our fruits? Because we can claim Christ and we can claim the faith of Christianity, but is there anything that gives us evidence of that? Yeah. And with sheep, there will be evidence because mm-hmm. as as we'll find out here in a moment— the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and the shepherd tells us, if you believe in me, if you love me, you will do this, you will do this, you mm-hmm. will do this. It doesn't ever once say, you must do this to be a Christian. Yeah. No, it says, if you love me, you will do this. You will do this, yeah. Because this That's is the... what your spirit will now be driven to do. Well, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. Mm-hmm. So he's not saying... Sheep follow my voice. He's, <laughs> he's saying, they know my voice and they follow me. And how do you get to know the shepherd's voice? By familiarity, right. by spending time with the shepherd and falling in love with the shepherd. Yep. It's all a love relationship. Absolutely. And that's why Jesus can say that, you know, a shepherd could walk to the gate where there's, you know, 10 flocks in there and he can start calling all the sheep that don't know his voice, who don't spend time with him. They'll all run to the back of the enclosure. Mm-hmm. His sheep will start following him as yeah. he starts walking, calling to him because they know his voice. And that's, yeah. that's the imagery he gives us in John 10. Right. You know, I call all my sheep by name and they follow me, you know. And uh, so this idea that it's a relational thing is so important for us to understand. 
And the Bible makes it clear that uh, we've got to be able to minister to the needs of sheep. Sometimes sheep get lost Mm -hmm. and they need to be brought back. Sometimes sheep get wounded and they need to be cared for. Sometimes, uh, but there's going to be goats as well. It's going to be a part of the church. In fact, the uh, there's nothing wrong with having a goat in your church if it, they're clearly identified as a goat or even if they self-identify as a goat. <laughs> yeah. In other words, uh, because we want to try to bring them to Christ. But if they're truly uh, unwilling to be converted, they're probably not going to stay around long uh, if you're really preaching the gospel, even though you may be loving them, it's, the, the conviction is going to get too too strong. But the Bible says there's going to be wheat and there's going to be weeds mm-hmm. growing together in the kingdom. And uh, so, and that's another parable we need to probably talk about as we talk about sheep and goats. Yeah. It's the parable of the weeds and the wheat. And uh, again, there's a distinction there. And and uh, But I think the key here is that what you've pointed out is that there will be fruit. Jesus in this pulling back the curtain of time and showing us the kind of life it's going that's going to have to be manifested mm-hmm. and for us to be considered a sheep. He pulls back the curtain and says, I'm going to show you a little snapshot of the future. And here's the kind of fruit that sheep have. And here's what goats don't have. And so I think that's where we have to begin. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And and so there's there's a common theme uh, other than just hearing the Lord's voice, right, with the sheep, and that is that they're we're sheep are dependent upon God. Right. They're dependent upon Jesus. They're dependent upon not just for salvation, but they're we're dependent upon our defense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for our for our joy, for our you know all the things in life that make your heart and mind move forward from day to day. You have to depend on God for that. Mm-hmm. The goat, on the other hand, depends on themselves. Right their own understanding. So when a tragedy hits a sheep, the first thing the sheep will do will be to look up and maybe ask questions, and that's okay because if as long as you're going to God first with questions, concerns, right. you know, pleadings, you know, praise, that's the right step. That's recognizing that relationship and having your heart where he's wanting it. Mm-hmm. But when you first, when a tragedy happens and your first thought is, how do I fix this? You have completely left God out of the picture. Right. He's not in the equation of life. Yeah. So that's, for me, that's probably one of the easiest determinations for an individual to do is look at when something happens, where do I go first? Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I receive a blessing, maybe I got a raise, maybe a windfall of some kind, something great happens, What? Ha- where do I go first? Is it, wow, look how great I am? I got rewarded for my greatness? Or do we go, thank you for the blessing? Thank you. Yeah. And on both ends of those, you've you've hit it dead, and you know it's a bullseye, because whenever blessings happen to sheep, they look up with gratitude mm-hmm. and say, "Thank you, Lord," because I know all good and perfect gifts comes down from the Father of Light, and uh, and when bad things happen, and we often don't understand that we sometimes come to God with questions, God, I don't know why you let this happen. I don't understand it. I don't know why this is happening to me, but I trust you even when I don't understand. And that's the thing we ultimately have to come to. Now, it doesn't mean there can't be great agony in those moments, you know. And uh, many Christians have gone through those, but a sheep will ultimately say, I trust your heart even though I can't understand. Yeah, even when a sheep goes off the path, Mm -hmm. 
there's still traits of them being sheep, right? Because they they will be despondent. They will they'll be more lost mm-hmm. than a goat would. Because a goat goes off the path because that's their desire. Yeah, they have a personal goal in mind. They're driving their own endpoint destiny, right? Mm-hmm. The sheep just they fell down, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're dependent on God to pick them back up. They don't all most of the time they can't figure out how to fix it themselves. Yeah. One of the, the, the things we're seeing, uh, too, that in maybe this, I hope this isn't a, a detour, but sometimes sheep are not very wise. We're not, all, we're not you know, you become a Christian, you don't immediately become, a you genius. know, omniscient <laughs> right, and, right, right. And, uh, and a sage overnight. And sometimes sheep will trust a goat, and a goat will lead them astray. We see this a lot with young people, you know, peer pressure. And uh, some some young person who's trying to follow God, but they can't. They don't really identify another person as a goat, and they have a lot of pressure on them. And it starts pulling them in the wrong direction, and they end up in places they shouldn't be and doing things they shouldn't do. And uh, it really starts screwing their life up. And of course, they need some good Christians come alongside of them and say, you know, hey, we need to get this under control. Mm-hmm. But the point is. Uh, we don't always identify goats as goats because uh, goats uh, can be religious goats, and that's a real problem. And they're pretty wily, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they smell, you know, taste and look like a, a, a Christian or a goat or a sheep, I mean. Yeah. I mean, if you, in, it's kind of interesting you say that because in in the United States, for the most part, you can look at a goat and see that it's a goat, and you can look at a sheep and see that it's a sheep. They're very distinct mm-hmm. in appearance. Now, if you studied them and you just sit back and watch them, you could see a difference in them because the sheep is going to graze and the goat is going to forage and they're going to eat different foods. Mm-hmm. Um, the goat's going to go eat sticks and branches and leaves and, and things that the sheep won't touch. Right. Well, one, the sheep knows that there's more nutrition in the grass mm-hmm. and the hay, so they're going to eat that stuff. And then the goat's just going to go do their own thing. Not only that, but the goat's going to go a look for a way to get out of the pen. Mm-hmm. The sheep knows that it's safe in the pen, mm-hmm. so it stays within its boundaries. It doesn't try to get out because this is where I'm safe. This is where I get all of the things that I need for living. The goat says, I want to see what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. I don't care that this is safe. I don't care this has all my needs satisfied. What's over there? So that's for from a goat standpoint in America. That's in, that's how you would probably want to look at them to figure out which is which. But if you look around the world and throughout history, sheep and goats they looked almost identical. Uh-huh. I mean, hair sheep and goats are very, very, very much alike. It's all, but again, you have to look at the behaviors. Uh-huh. You have to look at the fruits of who they are to see what they are. And so I think that's very much the same with people. So you, you have people that are constantly going out and doing things of their own understanding, doing things on their own, having a bit of a selfish attitude, maybe some bullying or pressure people to do things, right? Those are more goat-type activities, more mentalities and attitudes. Whereas with sheep, you see people that are quick to come to your aid, quick to serve, quick to pray for you when you're sad, sick, or, or hurt, mm-hmm. um, you know, bring a meal to someone. You know, there's nothing in it for them, mm-hmm. but they do it anyhow because that's who they are. That's, that's what the shepherd has said, this is what my people do. Mm-hmm. And so they are quick to do it. There's no hesitation. With a goat, there's hesitation sometimes. 
they're maybe they'll do it, but they need something. To, they got to get something out of it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, they, they want some reward. And, and so those are similar imagery between the animal and the people, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and we are dealing with, with imagery. And I think that's uh, why if we go to the more specific things in Jesus's uh, uh, pulling back the veil, we begin to see what you're talking about in that imagery, you know, where Jesus begins to describe the characteristics of the sheep. When I was hungry, you mm-hmm. fed me. When I was mm-hmm. thirsty, you gave me something to drink yes. and so on. Uh, this is, uh, and, and this is something that we probably better pause here and talk a little bit about this. There are Christians, and we all know that we're saved by faith alone, mm-hmm. and we're saved through grace by faith alone, and it's not of works lest anyone should boast, and we know that you cannot be saved by your works. However, many people read this Matthew 25 passage, and they just can't understand it. There's a judgment going on here, and it's all based upon the fruit and the works that came out of this person's life. And they, they go, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we were just, it's all about just faith, grace and faith. Well, yeah, it is. But this is talking about what happens when grace and faith has done its work in your life. And this is where James says, you know, you want to show me your faith, show it to me by your works, because it will have fruit. And if, if the fruit's not there, then you don't have the faith. And so Jesus is basically saying, I'm identifying these people by the fruit that came out of their life. So they claim to have faith. And remember, Jesus said in, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, there'll be those who'll say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Look what I've done. Yeah, look what I've done. I prophesied your name. I've mm-hmm. done miracles in your name. I've cast out demons in your name. He doesn't deny any of that, that they did it in his name. He just says, depart from me, I don't know you. In other words, they never really were hanging with the shepherd. What they were doing was doing their own thing, and it, and it was really cool to put Jesus' name on it, yeah. you know, but the point is they really were not involved in doing anything through the Spirit of the Spirit of God. Yeah, and, and you're right. I think that is a great uh, distinction because there are so many people that, that look to this part of Matthew and say, well, ha-ha, see, there is a test mm-hmm. that if you don't do these things, then you're not a Christian. Yeah. No, no. It says, when you are following the shepherd, this is how you will behave. Right. And even if you go back and look at the Beatitudes, Christ tells us, if you want to find me, this is where you look. In these people, they do these things. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that that's the only people, only way that you get to be a, a Christian or a Christ follower is by doing those things. No, there is no rule for thou shalt do or thou isn't a Christian. No. There is a because your heart has changed, because you have a relationship, now you will do things because it becomes part of who you are. You'll yeah. desire that. Yeah. It's being first and then conduct comes out of the being. And it's yeah. the same with anything in life, right? I mean, if we were to go out and build a performance engine for a car mm-hmm. and we went out and tested it, we would expect to see certain things, right? Right. And so why would this be any different? Yeah, and only the mechanic who put that together and the mechanical engineer would stand there and seeing all those things know why he's seeing all those things. Exactly. The nature of that engine, you know, the size of the pistons and the yeah. the weight that, you know. The, the, you he's know. expecting a certain thrust. He's expecting a certain compression, expecting right. a certain horsepower. Yeah. All of that he will see. It's that Those things don't make it the engine. Right? Yeah, right. They're products of what happened. Right. And you see the product because of what it is. And so uh, often uh, we, we confuse being versus 
you know, the product that comes out of what we are. And uh, this is always in Scripture, we have to be first rather than do. Yeah, and, and I often have people that are new to following Christ, I would say, that uh, ask questions, how do I know if I'm truly, you know, developing a relationship and, and growing? How do I know? And I And I try to tell them often, I said, well, look at your heart and tell me, what is it that you desire? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to do good. I said, okay, that's a needle in the right direction. What else do you desire? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to see people, you know, I want to help people. I want to do that. Sounds to me like those are the fruits of that relationship. Yeah. You, that's how it starts. You can begin into yourself, look inward and say, what do I desire now? And what you're describing, J.D., is this. There is a humility in Christianity that would, of course, is, is required. But the point is, is that that humility shows up first in realizing that if I'm moving in the right direction and I'm doing the right things and the Spirit of God is working on me and in me and through me because I'm not that good, mm-hmm. you know, and people have this idea, you know, am I just doing this on my own? Well, if you're really going the right direction, you got the right attitudes and you are endeavoring to uh, become more like Christ and to conquer any besetting sins, and you're you're constantly moving with the needle in the right direction. That's God working in you. That's not you just being good, uh, because we can't be authentic on our own uh, because we end up deceiving ourselves. The heart is deceitful above all things, said Jeremiah, desperately wicked. Right. Who can understand it? I'm glad the next verse, God <laughs> chimes in and says, well, God tries the reins of the heart. and He yeah. understands what's in a person's heart. So we're glad he does. But there is a humility, and I've often had people come seeking God saying, well, I don't think God would ever forgive me, and I don't think God loves me, and he would, you know, and so on. And I say, well, what are you doing here? How'd you get here? Because you're not good enough to come seeking God without him. Uh, you think you're so good that you're seeking God, and God is, you know, giving you the stiff arm? And I'd say, you know, you need to give up your pride and humble yourself and bow down and say, thank you, God, that you're seeking me, that you're pulling me to yourself. I need to accept that. Yeah, I'm amazed at how much mm-hmm. so many people think that their sin is so great yeah, yeah. compared to others. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, and what they do is diminish the greatness of the cross of Christ and Christ himself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, another thing that I have had many people ask me is, but I still do these things that aren't godly. I don't always want to help somebody. It's like, okay, that's okay too because what happens is is, you get to choose between which you're going to feed, right? Are you going to continually grow in Christ? So are you going to feed that heart? Are you going to, tr- you know, every day are you going to work harder towards listening? Are you going to work, mm-hmm. you know, are you helping that part of you that wants to be a servant, that wants to, to do good things for other people? Are you helping that to grow? Or are you helping the other side, the self side grow? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to make one grow or the other. That's, yeah. that's the truth. One's going to be get watered, if you will, if it was a plant, you're going to water one of these every day, mm-hmm. which is, a, and if you choose the side that says, I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to do these things, then you're going to see it blossom and you're going to grow and you're going to see it change. And those moments, those times where you're selfish, that you have goat type tendencies, they're going to become less and far and few in between. And eventually they will disappear completely. 
it isn't an overnight process. You don't just snap your finger and a genie tells you, whoop, you're done, you're done. You're never going right. to act that way again. To this point forward, you're going to be perfect. Well, none mm. of us are that way. No. And we all come into the kingdom with all kinds of faults and misunderstandings and ignorance and shortcomings oh, yeah. and strongholds and maybe even addictions, That and that is a stronghold. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to have to go through a process with the Holy Spirit and maybe with other believers walking with us through that before we come to freedom and we're able to consistently begin to feed the right aspects of our life and to literally with the work of the Holy Spirit, which you can only do it through the work of the Spirit, crucify that and put to death that other aspect that we want to see vanish completely. We don't want to keep a little of it around. We don't, We if that's your attitude, it, no, 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 no. Right. He, he, Jesus wants You don't get just a little bit of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I always say Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Jesus wants to kill you. He wants to kill you and then resurrect you as a brand new person. The old you, he wants to kill it. He came to kill you. And then that's what what he said. If you don't, if you're not willing to die with me, you can't. But then he he takes us through the tomb and brings us out the other side as a new creation person. And that's what Christians are. We're already new creation persons in spirit. Mm -hmm. We're already resurrected in spirit. We're just waiting for the final part of our resurrection, which is the immortality of our bodies. But but we're not waiting to be resurrected in one sense because we're already resurrected because we've already died to ourselves and come alive. And this is what's missing so much. Uh, A lot of goats in the church are people who believe only in forgiveness. Yeah. You know, it's all about forgiveness. I can but, still but, go do those things yeah, that make me happy. But, but, but no transformation, you see. Right. So I go out and live like I want to. Then I come in and say, oh, God, I'm sorry. I know you'll forgive me because you're all love and grace and kindness and goodness. And so, and then they go right back out and keep acting like goats because there's no change of heart. There's no transformation. They never died to what they were. They've never been transformed into something that's a new creation. Right. And those those are there's three easy identifiers for those attitudes. And then we can look at ourselves first. And I, I always try to tell people, look inwardly first and test yourself on these things. And then you can begin to use that as a test for other people around you, right? And, yeah. you know, those are defiance, self-will, and independence from God's will. Mm-hmm. Those are three great tests. If mm-hmm. you can get past those tests that you're not acting these ways, then you're likely on the road to being a good sheep, right? Yeah. To be in a, to listening to the shepherd's voice. If you see people around you that you know are defiant, that, you know, I'm going to go drink on Friday night or Saturday night and come to church and, you know, mm-hmm. just do what I want every week and it's okay because I come to church and I <laughs> sing the hymns and I listen to the word and I go home and nobody knows the better. Yeah. Well, guess what? The one that needs to know knows. Right. Yeah, and... It's, uh, we're, we're dealing with, uh, a, a, you know, we're getting close to the place now where we're saying we need discernment mm-hmm. because in the church, I know as a pastor, uh, one of my responsibilities is to examine fruit and I'm told to examine fruit and I'm told to, you know, to rebuke, correct, encourage. Well, how do I do that unless I'm looking at fruit? Now I have to always remember in humility that I'm human that I believe I have the Holy Spirit, that he's giving me discernment, he's giving me insight. But even though the Holy Spirit speaks perfectly, I don't always hear perfectly, and I don't always see perfectly. So Mm -hmm. often I go to a person, and if I feel I have to deal with them, maybe to rebuke them on something or to correct them on something, I will say, if I have understood this correctly, 
this is what I, I'm seeing, and, and have I understood this correctly? And if so, we need to talk about this. And that's so important because the idea that I can just make a judgment and go, oh, you, you definitely got this wrong, is <laughs> I've gone to people and said that and found out I totally misperceived it. Right. And, and was glad that I didn't have to do any correction, yeah. you know, because they were right where they needed to be. But on the other hand, sometimes it turns out that you've got to take it on, whether you like it or not, because you really care about the person. Absolutely. That's the thing where we are able to, I think at this point, say one of the things we need to keep in mind is if if we suspect somebody's a goat, we don't need to ostracize them. We don't need to treat them poorly because that's not what a sheep would do first. No. Right? No. A sheep would still love them. A, mm-hmm. a sheep would pray for them for sure. Right. And then maybe we got to figure out, okay, so how do we get them to go from goat to sheep? Because that can happen. Right. We all started out a goat at some point. Right? We were not living sheep lives our whole life. I know that for a fact. (laughs) So it's not a permanent situation for everybody. No. For some people it is. I mean, absolutely, there are people that are just never going to change. They're always going to be a selfish, self-centered person that has no desire or will to ever be conformed to God's will. Mm -hmm. We know that's a fact. There are people like that. We don't know who those people are when we meet them until we get to know them better and see things. And then you could, over time, figure out... We're not going to waste any more time on this person. But we want to lovingly approach all of these people because that's what the shepherd is telling us to do. If if you're truly a sheep, your heart says, okay, I feel bad for this person. Mm -hmm. What can we do? Yeah. You know? Um, So I I really want to stress that we're not talking about this so we can get people to go and sit in their church and go, it's a goat over there. (laughs) You know? Look at Shirley. She is such a faker. (laughs) And that George, my goodness. Yeah. I know what he does on Friday night. Yeah. This is not what this discussion is about. No, it's not. And the fact is that what George does on Friday night may be something he's struggling with and he may be a true Christ follower who's really fighting an inner battle and uh, mm-hmm. is just, you know, he needs somebody to come alongside him and help him with that battle. Right. And, uh, and instead of sitting there judging him and coming up with all kind of a internal caricatures about what you think he is and why he's not for real, maybe you need to come alongside and find out if he's for real, because if he's for real, he'll respond. Absolutely. You know, he'll, he'll want... And he may break down and say, I just need so much help. Yeah, I need some help. And then, man, what an opportunity you were just given. Yeah. And this brings us, I think, straight up against where we kind of just kind of touched on it and bounced off of it a little bit ago, but I think it has something to say to us in this discussion, and that is Jesus's warning to us in the parable of the weeds. Mm where he talks about the farmer who sowed good seed in his field. And then while he was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Mm. And when it sprouted, his servants come to him and said, didn't you sow good seed in your field? And he says, yes, I did. Well, then where'd all these weeds come from? He says, an enemy's done this. They said, well, do you want us to go and pull up the weeds? And he said, no, because if you do, while you're pulling up the weeds, you'll probably pull up some of the wheat too, because you can't always tell the difference when they're in that young stage. He says, you let it all grow together. And then at the harvest, I'll say to the harvesters, gather the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and put it into my barn. And then later, Jesus explains the parable to the parable, the parable to the disciples, and says to them, "This is about the end of time. Mm. You need to understand the church." He says, "The man, the one who sowed the good seed, is the son of man, and the and the field is the world. So we're in a world, 
And uh, he's sown good seed into the world, but there's a lot of bad seed out there. And in our churches, we're going to have a mixture of wheat and weeds, just like we have sheep and goats. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying to us, we're not here to judge because we may make the wrong judgment. We may say, oh, well, that's a weed and pull it up. And it turns out it's wheat, you know, and we've damaged somebody. So Jesus says, no, no, no. He said, I'm going to have the angels sort that out at the end of time. They'll know. And he says, but in the meantime, you as wheat, our job is to keep loving and cultivating the kingdom and do our best to help the wheat to grow, even in the midst of the fact that we have to often grow in spite of the environment we have to live in. Yeah, and I, you know, I grew up on a farm yeah. in Kansas, and I'll tell you what, I absolutely love that uh, parable because there, there's something amazing about a wheat harvest. Mm-hmm. And when you we were talking about the wheat and the weeds, one of the things that many people may not know that when it comes time to harvest wheat, wheat bows its head. Mm-hmm. It bends over. Yeah. And the weeds stand up tall and straight. Yep. So you can clearly look in the field and see the wheat and the weeds at harvest. Right. There's no doubt. And I always thought about this as the wheat is humble and it bows its head. Yeah. And the pride of the weeds will not allow that. That's right. Yeah. And I'm going, man, it just fits into that parable so well because it is in the end it's going to be very easy yeah, once for it's... the shepherd and his gatherers to go, this is my sheep, this is not. This is my sheep, this is not. Because the humility mm-hmm. is what is one of the big factors that's going to allow him to know. And the the selfishness or, or the self-serving portion of the goats is like, mm. yeah. Well, and I think this brings us to the, the the point where we have to address something I think you and I talked about earlier when you kind of introduced this subject to me and said, hey, we're going to talk about this. And that is that a lot of pastors can waste a lot of time, as you had, I think you kind of alluded to it earlier, chasing goats all over the landscape, oh, wearing themselves out. I've, I've that seen have absolutely so no, many men do this. Yeah, that have absolutely no intention of being transformed, mm-hmm. have no intentions of repenting, and uh, you know, and they they play religious goat, and and you know, people chase them, and they and they love to be chased, and they love to have people give them attention, and it just wears them out. While they've got wounded sheep in their church that need attention, that, absolutely, and they need to be feeding their flock, and they're not have starving. Time. Some of yeah. them are starving. Yeah, and they're not spending time breaking down the Word of God. They're not spending time in their studies, you know, with the Lord, saying, "Lord, what does my my flock need to hear? What does the you know what are you wanting to feed them this week through me?" Because they're so busy trying to be the solution to all these goats' problems, mm-hmm. and they're chasing them all over the crags and. And and it becomes a waste of time. And the devil will always send you lots of goats if you're willing to chase them, because he knows Makes that if you he, ineffective for your sheep. Yeah, if he can keep you ineffective, he can keep you busy doing something that's meaningless. And that's where you have to start praying for discernment. And uh, I remember when I was in the counseling ministry many years ago, and and uh, executive director of Freedom Ministries International, we had to learn that in our counseling centers, we there were people who would waste our time. There were people who would come, and they all they wanted to do was just go around the same old merry-go-round and talk about themselves over and over and over and over and over and over and over. But they never, they never do the homework. They never wanted to change. And we finally learned, okay, we're wasting our time with this person. So what we would say to him, okay, 
we're going to give you this homework. We want it done. And if you don't do it, don't come back till you do. Right. And sometimes they never came back. And sometimes they'd come back and they still hadn't done it. They just wanted to talk about their same old thing over and over. And we finally would say, no, sorry. We'll tell you what. We'll be here when you're ready to change. But until you are... I'm sorry, we've got other people we need that really need help. And sometimes that's a very hard conversation for pastors to have because they're, it is. they have a long relationship with this person, and so it's it's painful for them to mm-hmm. let go. Um, but this is a good point to talk about, too. In our world today, especially in the United States, we have a very narcissistic society. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these goats are just feeding their narcissism with a pastor. They get a lot of attention, and when they act like they're trying, you know, they'll say all the beautiful, colorful words and act like they're trying hard and, you know, come in and confess all kinds of struggles and sins and stuff because they get tons of attention. They get tons of counseling. They get all this outpouring that feeds that narcissism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, I, uh, you know, I was was thinking of of a counselee that I've dealt with many, many times that the whole thing they love to do is to come in and talk about all their hurts, all their wounds, all this stuff. And at the first time you counsel them, they say, okay, well, here's a wounded person. You start trying to help. But then you f- soon learn it doesn't matter what you fix. All they want to do is talk about themselves, and they will go, and everything is about themselves. Everything, you know, and it's just their mm-hmm. whole world revolves around them. They can't think of anybody else. And when they do think of anybody else, it's always to make themselves feel like they have done something good, and it's all about them when they're helping somebody else. Or victimized. Yeah, another way, and they expect <laughs> feedback. Look how good I was to you. Right. You know, yeah. and, and oh, I call, yeah, look at the growth you've had. Yeah, and they've, they've got what I call, I call it wounded narcissism. And wounded narcissism, you often, uh, it can also become very violent. It's like the dog that's been severely injured and is off in the bushes and you're trying to help it and it, it'll take your hand off because it won't let you help it. And so that's what we often deal with too in the church. we got people who may really be needing help and uh, they're just, even Christians can be subject to that temporarily because they're so wounded. They just don't trust anybody at the moment because, and you, we have to patiently work our way through that because it's like they're trying to take your hand off every time you reach out to, to, to touch and try and help them. Well, a narcissist, narcissist can become dangerous. Yeah. Because the most important thing to them at all is is feeding that narcissism. Yeah. But 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 a wounded person can begin to behave as a narcissist because of the wound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they may not be at heart a narcissist, but the wound makes them behave as a narcissist because when we're wounded, what do we think about? We're thinking about fix, hurt. Fix the pain. Fix, fix the pain. pain. Fix, fix what, what And what somebody did to me. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's all about, and if we're not careful, and this is where the more Christ-like we become, we can say, okay, look up and say, Father... I don't understand why this happened, but you allowed it to happen, uh, or maybe it happened because I wasn't where I was supposed to be, and mm-hmm, if I wasn't, mm-hmm. then help me to repent and get where I need to be. But if I was where I was supposed to be, then help me to trust you and believe that you're going to work this for your good and and help me to realize that I don't need to be focusing on myself and spend all my time with spiritual navel-gazing, and uh, <laughs> I need to look up to you and ask you to guide me and direct me. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's an easy thing for us to do if we are focused on what Christ has preached to us, mm-hmm. what the Word says, it's easy for us to go, okay, this this hurts, so what 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 am I supposed to get out of this? Or how is God wanting to use it maybe in the life of the person who hurt me because yeah. maybe I need to turn the other cheek, go the second mile, give the second garment, 
And as a result of that, if I really do that enough, that God's love will so come through me that it will transform the other person. Yeah, and we have to quickly remember that everything is temporary. This is a small season maybe, right? And maybe this person hurt me out of their pain, Mm -hmm. right? They lashed out in pain. And because I can come back to them in love and be forgiving and and walk through a a process of reconciliation with them, it Mm -hmm. may fix everything that they need fixed. Yeah. And maybe that way, one thing that they've been waiting for for decades. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of something that uh, I teach it as intercessory forgiveness, where we learn to pray for our offenders, where we learn to forgive our offenders and pray for them and actually use the legal ground they give us for their good. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yes, we always have to, somebody always says, yeah, but where's the boundaries? Where's the boundaries? Because People always want to talk about boundaries, you know. How many times should I forgive? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Same question, right? Yeah, right. But but the point is that, yes, there are boundaries. But if you start thinking about that first, you're thinking about that way too soon. Because Jesus talked about sacrifice and and if I'm his child and I'm under his control and I'm living in obedience to him, nothing can come my way but what God has allowed. And if he's allowed it, he's got a reason. And if I'll trust him, he'll work it for good and for somebody else's good. Absolutely. Yeah. And if, and if that's your first question, you just failed the first test of the heart, right? <laughs> that's right. Whoa. Wait, yeah. You should be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I failed the heart test right there. How do I fix that? Yeah, because that's not the first thing. Yes, there is a point at which boundaries come in because we have to, we don't cast our pearl before swine. Right. Yeah. But I mean, your first, I, if somebody hurts you, my first question is, now, why, why did that happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, did I do something? Did Are they hurting? I mean... What what was the catalyst to cause this situation? You know, um, and you know, I want to work through that problem, and, and that's I think exactly where Christ wants us to go is this that discernment thing. How did this happen? What can we do? What's the bridge? What's the fix? You know, you know, God, tell me what what it is that we need to be doing here. Give me the wisdom. Give me the, you know, the information I need. But we don't want to just go. Oh, I can't forgive him. <laughs> it was such a it's such a terrible bridge, but I do think that uh, that is exactly where we can make some discernments between sheep and goats in our lives too. Is we know the people in our lives for the most part pretty well, probably, and we know that we have people in our lives that you know when somebody hurts them, their first instinct instinct is to lash back, right, or to lay some blame or. Or go and rail with other people about it and and not try to resolve it, not trying to find out what was going on, what happened, because it's just not who they are. Right. And so we have to start looking at things from the lens of, well, no, why is that? Do they know they're doing it? Because sometimes maybe people don't even understand how they're acting. We, we don't do a good job in our society about talking about this anywhere. Yeah. Not just in the church, but we don't do it in our homes very well anymore. We don't do it in our schools we don't talk about how we're treating and interacting with people. Well, we're not good at relationships anymore. Yes. And uh, and relationships take time. They take commitment. They take sacrifice. And they take humility. They take a willingness to be willing to stoop in order to lift because someone else's need may need to be lifted off of them. You know, they have a problem. And uh, we have to humble ourselves. Jesus was willing to stoop and lift us, and only the great can serve. Only the great can stoop and lift. It's always the uh, little 
and the shriveled who are trying to crawl on top of everybody to make themselves look big. And so we've got to we've got to learn how to live constantly looking at how can I serve others because through serving we become great. Jesus said the least among you, the one who serves the most, that's the great one in the kingdom. Yeah, and it's it's interesting I had <laughs> A conversation online this week about somebody asked the question, why was Jesus born in a manger? And I said, well, do you not understand that was the very first humble act? The king of the entire universe was born in the most filthy place possible. Tell me that's not humility. And he that, showed us the way. Yeah, and that God loves his imagery. God loves his imagery to be perfectly consonant with his truth. And Jesus came to the lowest, so he started out down at the bottom, bottom, so that no one could say he didn't come to reach me. And uh, in fact, if you think about it in more, you know, <laughs> transcendent terms, when he descended down to become a fertilized egg mm-hmm. in Mary's womb, that that was incredible humility for the one who had lived forever and ever in glory. The creator of everything that is, is, is. that we know of, yeah. the, that creator turned himself into something yeah. minute. That, right. And totally helpless, yep. totally dependent upon Mary to, and Joseph to care for him. And yet he's the source of their very life and breath, you know to be willing to do that. And so Jesus went all the way to the bottoms. And as I like Lewis's imagery, it's like a diver who glistening in the sun for a moment, but he suddenly dives into the water and he keeps going down, down past the sunlit levels until eventually he gets into that inky black darkness where you can see nothing, but he reaches into the, the mud and the muck at the bottom and he grabs hold of that thing he went down there to get a hold of and he comes back up with it shining in his hand and in the sunlight it takes on, you know, color and beauty because mm-hmm. he went down and found the thing he was looking for and he said, that's what Jesus did. Jesus dove all the way to the bottom, took hold of humanity and says, I'm pulling you up with me, you know. so Yeah. And so there it is, right? Mm-hmm. You can be humble about that because to me, there isn't anything more humble than that. We we are completely lost. We are completely dead without the work of Christ. That's right. And yet how can we have people that are prideful in themselves? Mm-hmm. They couldn't lift themselves out of the bottom. They, that, that item that that diver pulled off the bottom of the ocean couldn't take itself up there. Nope. So what is there to be proud of? Nothing. And that's why that's why Paul said it's not a work so that no one can boast. You know, God did it. This is something God has done from beginning to end, and we rejoice in him. And that's why I love the doxology in Romans 11 there where Paul is talking about, you know, all oh, the wisdom and the greatness of God, and then he comes down to that final verse in that doxology at the last verse of 11, he says, for from him and un- and through him and unto him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Amen. So that's, that's the focus. He, everything came from him. Everything is focused on him, and he's the worker all the way in between, and he's the one who gets the glory, not us. So... A good question that I that I got to ask this week about the sheep and the goats was, do both sheep and goats experience difficult times? 
Yeah. Absolutely they Absolutely do. Absolutely they do. So how do, what's the reaction of a sheep versus a goat? Well, I think you described it perfectly earlier. And when you talked about how the goat basically looks to his own resources mm-hmm. or the people he can manipulate around him uh, or her to be able to solve his own problem. He's going to come up with a scheme. He's going to try to get this person to do this for him and that for him so that he can solve his problem or solve his hurt. Or he's going to blame shift and just be mad at the world and and come up with, I'm the only one that's right and I'm in suffering injustice, so now I play the victim. But there's all kinds of little schemes that they can use, but it's all going to be about themselves. What about their attitude towards God? Yeah. Well, they're usually angry at God. Ah. Yeah, and God is... Uh, the one who somehow should have done something, but he didn't. Or uh, they were God's doing something to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. And uh, But the uh, the sheep, of course, as you described earlier, is exactly the opposite. It's, it's uh, we have questions and we sometimes are, you know, in even David in his times of deep despair, you know, he's he's almost raging in his despair. God, why won't you do something? Why won't you answer me? But all, he always turns the corner and goes, okay, Lord, I, I know that you got this. <laughs> and David's a really good example of a shepherd because we know some of the things that David did for his flock. Mm-hmm. And, and, and God is very much exactly, you know, those are all great metaphors for how God helps us and protects us and you know, yeah, from the lions David and the bears, yeah, and kill the lion and kill the bear and to protect his sheep. He he sat and he sung to his sheep, and they knew his voice because he was spoke to them every day, all day long, and he lovingly approached his sheep, and they trusted him. And it's exactly the same thing that we get from God. God talks to us every day. We have to seek to hear him. We have to purposely listen for his voice. And the word says that's what we will do when we're his sheep. We will mm-hmm. seek his voice. We will listen for him. And we will recognize it when it happens. And that's why David could write something as beautiful as the 23rd Psalm. And uh, we sometimes miss the act- activeness of those of those terms. And, you know, the, the Psalm actually starts out, Yahweh shepherds me. He's the one shepherding me. And therefore, there, I'm not going to lack anything, you know, because... He's that kind of shepherd. That's he's the good shepherd, and uh, but he uses that whole psalm to describe one word, and that's Yahweh, Yahweh, mm-hmm. the God of Israel. He's the one shepherding me. Mm-hmm. We use the we translate that the Lord because the Jews uh, didn't like to say the ineffable name, so they would substitute Adonai, and then in our English translations we substitute we translate it Lord. Uh, like the Jewish Hebrew speaker would say, but the actual word is Yahweh. And he says, Yahweh shepherds me. He's he's the one who is there, and I won't lack for anything. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that uh, we have to remember, that, that sheep know that, that when I listen, when I follow my shepherd, his job is to, he's got commitments to us. He's promised us. There's, in the book, it tells us, there, I've made these commitments to my yeah, sheep. Yeah. I have everything I work out for your good. Right. You may not feel like it today. Yeah. You may not see it, but I promise you I'm working it out for your good. Right. And he's working on a much bigger uh, palette than we yeah. can understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All of eternity is a little bit bigger than yeah. we can wrap our head around. Right. But 
at the same time, he he's also says, you know, you don't have to worry about what your clothes are going to be, where you're going to eat. These things I take care of for you. In other words, I care about the minutest details of your life. Yeah, I mean, uh, this this is this is God that knows every can count every hair on your head. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing about you that He doesn't already know about. Yeah. Every flaw, every scar, every bruise, He knows every detail. The cells of your body, He knows every one of them by intimate name. Mm-hmm. And so those things we have to, if we can get the, our head wrapped around how important we are to Him then we would quickly get to the point where we go, well, I have to pay attention to this because he's paid so much attention to me already. Right. right. And this is what sheep have had revealed to them ultimately is how much they are loved and how little they deserve it. But in the cross is why the cross stands on the horizon of history and shouts, you can trust the heart of God. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He will do anything. In fact, he did the ultimate that he can do. The only thing he could do beyond that would be to force you, and he won't mm-hmm. because that wouldn't be love. Right. So he has done everything but force you, and now it's your choice. And he enables you even to make that choice if you're willing. And so coming to realize how much God loves you is one of the revelations that happens to sheep. Right. And some sheep, it, you have, it takes a while to pound it through their heads because <laughs> they keep thinking, oh, no, no, i got to come and do something for God to get him to love me. I no, no, so no, many no, bad no. things. <laughs> yeah, I did so many you bad things. No, you don't understand what I did. I, yeah, i got to make up for it some way. But that's not what the Bible teaches no. us. God, you know, and I, I was just thinking, and I, I told Grant not to tell anybody, but anyway... Today is my birthday, and and so you're gonna tell and, everybody. And well, we're not, happy birthday! Yeah, and we're not gonna tell anybody what birthday. But the point is, is that uh, one of the things is kind of a thing I like to do is uh, the night before, you know, I uh-huh. my my birthday. I after my wife went to bed last night, I read a major portion of the of the New Testament uh, and my favorite passages. And I end up reading through several epistles and several, you know, key passages because I want those things soaking in my spirit. Mm. And it's kind of like, okay, every year is a, it's just a, a fictitious beginning point, but to, it's nonetheless, it's, I make it important. I want to go and ask God to bless this new year with me thinking his thoughts, not me thinking my thoughts about him. I want to think his thoughts about him and about the world and about reality and about me, what he thinks about me. And and as I was reading some of the things last night that he says to me, I was like blown away. God, you really mm. do love us that much. Yeah, you know, it's, it's beyond just, comprehension. Beyond comprehension, yeah. But you, what you're talking about is something that I, I just absolutely love to talk to people about, and that is setting your will. Yes. You have set your will for what the next year will hold. Mm-hmm. And and so you start out your birth year countdown right. saying, this year I will that I will follow the God in these ways. That's right. That I will remember how much he loves me. I will acknowledge what he's done for me. And these are the things that in my life I've seen him do. You're setting your will yeah. to be a sheep. Yeah, and setting your the goal of your life as well. One of the passages that uh, were was in, involved in that was Revelation 21 and 22. You know, that's keeping that I'm looking over the horizon saying, Lord, that's where I want to end up with mm-hmm. my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
you know, drinking from the water of life, and most of all, enjoying your presence forever. And, uh, you know, and being part of that uh, 1,400-mile Crystal Cube City, you know, (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. I'm telling you, my my biggest goal in all of eternity— is to get a hug from Christ. That's right. I want to. I want to feel His embrace. That will be our greatest moment. I. I. I, I honestly believe my heart would explode if that was to happen. Yeah. I would just be filled so much with joy. Yeah. When I when I began my ministry many years ago as a young, as a very young man, uh, I was I was thinking about the fact that uh, I had turned my back on what I thought I wanted to do. I wanted to do science and physics and all those kinds of things, mm-hmm. and I answered the call, okay, God, I'm going to do what you're calling me to do. And uh, I remember I sat down and I wrote, and it's hanging on my wall in my office uh, in my home, the office I use mostly for all my study, and it's, it's hanging up high. But one of the lines, the last line in it goes something like this, and because uh, I'm talking to the Lord, and, I, and the, the last line it says, and the highest place to which I could ever rise, Lord, to kneel at your feet. And um, and that's my goal. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to kneel at his feet and uh, and to ultimately encounter his embrace mm. because this is a love relationship. It's not religion per no. se. <laughs> it is about a love relationship with the, with the creator of the universe. Absolutely. So all these things that we've talked about today and recognizing the difference between sheep and goats, their behaviors, attitudes, mm-hmm. and really uh, calling cards, right? Right. Th- these are important for us now more than ever because of the world that we live in and the world that we're heading into. Right. Um, it- it's going to become more perilous for a believer. It's going to be more challenging, I think. I think mm-hmm. you're going to see more goats that than ever before and many of those goats will turn into be wolves which we'll talk about another time right but the wolves and the false prophets are the next level and we respond to them very differently yeah and and many of these goats can turn into wolves right yes exactly um and so we that's why we need to identify them we need to have discernment as you've spoken to many times Mm -hmm. and then we have to have a plan right we have to plan how we're going to deal with these things what what do we do you know, and Paul tells us in, in 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 Titus and in a couple other places. There's some other writings that talk to us about, or not Titus, sorry, Timothy. Timothy, yeah. <laughs> I got my T's mixed up for a second. <laughs> uh, but you know, he, he he talks about you know making sure that you're not making yourself part of those mm-hmm. engagements. Don't you know if you 100% certain that this person's a goat and they're going in the wrong direction and then they have the tendency to try mm-hmm. to draw people with them disassociate from them. Yeah, and Paul will even, in talking, and this is goat terminology when he talks about now, you know, I think it may have been Titus, he said this, he says, rebuke a, uh, you know, a a disobedient or, uh, you know, person wants uh, and uh, rebuke them twice. Mm -hmm. And then if they still won't listen, have nothing to do with them. Right. So, and that's, that's goat, that's goat uh, tending. Right there, yeah, right. He's, he's saying, he's saying, look, you, you, you take, you give them twice, and you rebuke them and tell them change your ways. But if they're obviously going to keep on with their goat, uh, you know, attitude, then just basically have nothing to do with them. And when they're ready, say, I'll be here if you're ready to 
change and you're ready to deal with this and ready to repent, I'll help you. I'll be here, you know, whether it's day or night. Mm-hmm. But until then, I'm not going to waste time yeah, on there's you. some things in my life that are going to be a certain way and I can't have this in my life. Yeah. And th- the thing is, is this isn't always going to be easy, right? No. Some of these may be lifelong friends. Yeah. You know, some of these may be family members. Family members, yeah. And um, that's so, the hard one. So these are very difficult decisions to make. But if you weigh that against your eternity mm-hmm. and where your goals are, like yours and mine we talked about, where do you want to be a thousand years from now? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to be somewhere. Right. You know, if you're, especially if you know you're a believer, you know you're going to be somewhere a thousand years from That's now. That's right. But where do you want to be? Yeah. And if you're going to have things in your life that could risk what your desire is, you should cut that out. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you had a cancer in your body, you would want the doctor to cut it out. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't have a cancer in your spiritual life that you don't cut out. Especially when Jesus is the perfect surgeon. Absolutely. <laughs> so we, we have to use, again, that discernment, learn. If there's somebody that is in your life that is not following the way that is that is acting like a goat, then it's worth having that conversation. Surely you love them enough to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Look, I noticed that this that you continue in this behavior. I'm trying to understand what's the deal with that. Mm-hmm. And not judging you, but is there, is there something wrong? Or do you need help? You know, and then if they are, like you said, if they if they have no desire to turn from it, no, you have to decide, is that something that can be in my life and I can be healthy with it? Or do I need it to not be part of my life? And uh, as a pastor, I often have to remind people when it, those moments become necessary to say, look, I'm here confronting you because I care. It's not because I don't care. It's because I do. And some people say, well, you know, the way you're treating me, if you really cared about me, you'd agree with me. No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, because I care about you, I don't agree with you because I believe that to, that what you believe and what you're doing is very, very damaging. Right. And it can also damage others and it can damage, you know, the church of Jesus Christ. So I'm here trying to help you. But if you don't want that help and after I've tried a few times to help get, then we have to have that discussion say, when you're ready, I'll be here. But until then, don't ex- don't expect me to spend any time on you because you've made it clear that right now you're unwilling to receive that, any of this. And so that's that's how we have to deal with goats. And that's what Paul said to mm-hmm. Titus. You know, deal with a belligerent person and confront them once, confront them a second time. But if they won't change after that, have nothing to do with them. Yeah, and and when it comes to pastors, mm-hmm. we have to we have to. Get pastors to understand that I understand the desperation to have somebody be saved, but yeah. if they don't understand it, it'll never happen. Right, but I have not have a Messiah complex that I can go out there and save them if I just keep pounding on them long right. enough. You know, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. <laughs> you can't hold them by the back of the head and pour the spirit in their mouth. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. <laughs> they can spit it out faster, and you can pour it in. And they're not going to drown from the spirit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But. Unfortunately, I, I've seen many uh, pastor that they just are so stressed by the people that they've been chasing for t- 5, 10, 20 years that they just can't seem to c- overcome all of the things in their life. And I, and I try to tell them all the time, I said, they don't want to. Mm-hmm. And, and you have got to learn to recognize that sooner or later or you're going to spend the rest of your life chasing someone that you will never help. So, you know, 
always keeping the posture of I'm available if you want real help. Yeah. But I'm not going to chase you if because you made it clear that you're not seriously willing to engage. And and when you are seriously willing to engage, I'm here. I'm and here for you. there has to be emotional boundaries for that. Yeah. Because I know too many men, really, really good men that are just on the verge of desperation and, and breaking down emotionally because people won't, the people they love will not accept Christ and will not change right. their ways. And it's like you've got to back off from that a little bit and you yeah. got to just be like, look, I'll pray for you every day because I love you, but I'm not going to be so emotionally engaged that it's tearing me up. Well, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, Illustration I used used to use years ago when I was talking to people about uh, trying to win people to Christ, and I would say to them, "One, you need to think of it as like being in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the prosecutor who is prosecuting the case in everybody's life. He's trying to win the case for that person to bring mm-hmm. them to a place." of being under conviction and willing to surrender themselves and die to what they are and come alive to who they should be. It's the Holy Spirit who's the counselor. Counselor is one of the terms we use for a lawyer. He's the lawyer. You're not the lawyer. You're not the one prosecuting the case. What is your place in the courtroom? You're the witness. What is a witness? Someone who lives the kind of life and has, therefore, the kind of information and the kind of evidence that can be put on the witness stand so that it becomes evidence to win the case. And so the Holy Spirit will call you on the witness stand of that life over and over and over. And we must live in such a way with such love and with such truth that the Holy Spirit can keep calling us on that witness stand. Now, we all love to be the last witness and lead somebody to Jesus, but you may be witness, you know, number 57 out of 158 (laughs) that have to be there before that person finally comes to Christ. Mm -hmm. But you need to be able still to be on that witness stand and contribute the evidence of your life and what Christ has done for you and the truth that God can channel through you. And if you're the witness, that's all you've been called to do. You've not been called to be the Holy Spirit and win the case. And if you're trying to pound it into the person and trying to win the case, you're trying to play Holy Spirit, you need to get over yourself. You're not the person. That's not how you win people to Christ. You you are a witness and let the Holy Spirit be the one who wins the case. And I, yeah, and, and I think in some men that I've worked with, it's not necessarily a, a God complex or, or a Holy Spirit complex is they're just so distraught with despair, dis, dis, desperation, mm-hmm. if I can get it out, so distraught with desperation for those people because they love them so much as people and they, they've known them for so long and they just can't stand the idea that they would miss out. And, and that is okay if we understand how to keep it in its place. Remember Jesus coming down from the Mount of Olives on, and, he, and he's looking out over Jerusalem and he begins to weep while everyone else is cheering and saying, you know, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is weeping mm-hmm. and he starts crying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks. And then he begins to talk about the horrible things that are going to happen to him. And he's weeping in the midst of this celebration. Everybody else is like, what's going on here? We're all celebrating, calling him the the coming Messiah. And he's weeping because he knows that they're going to reject him and crucify him in just a matter of days. But, But Jesus also knew that there was a time when he had to call things and say, you know, 
there's no hope for this crowd. You know, there was a group of leaders there that he finally said, you know, you're going to die in your sin, and uh, that's the way it is. And, I, and I'm just going to tell you plainly that uh, you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the heavens in power and great glory and sitting at the right hand of the, of the majesty on high. And they cried blasphemy and wanted to crucify him, but at Jesus was basically just saying, I'm going to tell it like it is, and if you don't like it, tough. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, yeah. And um, <laughs> it's amazing how quickly or how easily people will discount some of those things as well, he was God, and he could do that. And but then two days later, he wasn't still weeping and mourning about that moment situation. Mm-hmm. He was doing the things in the time that he was there. Right? No, he he was, was engaged with his disciples. He was living in those moments, not constantly under the burden. And I think he doesn't want us to be under that burden yeah. either. And he, and in those final days, that he went to the temple, he constantly confronted them. You know, he confronted those religious leaders and told them, "You're going to die in your sin." Uh, you know, and you're not going to, you know, I, I've come to you, you, you've rejected me, I've made it clear who I am. And so basically, while he had wept over them earlier, he's now saying, okay, it's, into a new it, season. It, it, we're moving into a new season. Yep. If we're going to deal with it, I'm going to die for the ones who are willing to be saved. And those of you who are welded to your sin, well, you're going to die in your sin and, and you're, it's going to be nothing but darkness. Well, I hope that we'll, that we can uh, get folks to move into that season too, because there's a lot of good men out there that I think are being held back by this uh, need to save everyone. This this idea that I can't let one fall. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's unfortunate because it, it takes away from so many other people in the congregation and in their lives that they could do so much good for. Yeah. And if most pastors will really spend time with the Lord and their studies, digging out the Word of God and really feeding their congregations with the Word of God. Uh, I've often had young pastors when I was training them say, you know, in the classroom, uh, how can I be profound? And I would always say, parrot faithfully the Word of God. You'll always be <laughs> profound, you know, and, uh, because it's not what you say, it's what the Word of God has to say. And if they will do that, they will build up into those lives people that may be able Believe it or not, the Holy Spirit may be able to work, say, I can take this person and win that person to Christ that you can't touch. Mm-hmm. and But you feed that person the Word of God, and then they have an avenue of reaching that person that you'll never have. All right. Well, um, I think we've we've taken this thing around the tree a few times, <laughs> as my yeah. grandfather would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so is there anything that you think we missed that we ought to wrap up here? I think the the bottom line is, and I think you emphasized it well, is this is not about judging people. This is about examining fruit, but being discerning and humble, mm. uh, being sure that we're not trying to, uh, you know, get a label on everybody's head in the church, loving everybody, but at the same time being on our guard, knowing that there are going to be those who are dangerous to us and to the church, and uh, we and and we're told over and over, be careful. There. Are, there's many uh, dangerous things that have gone out into all the world. And of course, especially when we maybe finally get around to talking about false prophets and wolves, mm. you know, John has much to say. He says, be on your guards because there's many false teachers, many false prophets gone out there. And they give some very stern warnings about how you respond to them. Yeah. 
there's a lot of voices out there, right? Mm -hmm. And and one of the the main jobs of the sheep is to know the shepherd's voice. That's right. Listen to it first. That's right. And so all these other folks out there, whether they're wolves or sheep or false prophets, they're all going to have a voice too that we're going to hear. Yep. And so it's important for us to understand and know where these voices are coming from and who they represent. And if uh, and if we keep using, if we keep teaching the Word of God and people keep studying the Word of God, the imprint of God's voice, of His Spirit, will be on them, mm-hmm. and they will recognize the shepherd's voice. Some people say, well, how can I recognize God's voice? I say, spend a whole lot of time in the Word, because <laughs> you will get the imprint of the voice of God on your spirit, and then you will go, oh, that's how God talks, and you will know His voice. So spend time with the shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, I thank you for joining us today. Um, this has been a Veritas Resurgence broadcast, and today on The Voice Coming in the Wilderness, we've been talking with Pastor Gary Dermott, and we've been talking about the sheep and the goats, and all the information that comes around that, and the voices that we hear, and as sheep, knowing the voice of our shepherd. So if you would, please take a moment, subscribe to our podcast, and don't forget to visit our new website at vrbroadcast.org, where you can find more teaching and ask questions of the show and our guests. Also, find us on Facebook at A Voice Calling in the Wilderness. And do us a favor, recommend this podcast to your friends and family. Again, thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.